You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Right, Roger. For film marketing, I think we might be talking about the best Christmas movie ever. The best Christmas movie ever. And that is Die Hard. And I know there'll be a lot of people out there saying, no, it's not a Christmas movie. But I am in the Christmas movie camp. And what I'd like, I'd like to resurrect this debate. A lot of people say Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I think it is a Christmas movie. Please, if you're listening to the show or watching the show, tell us in the comments on YouTube or on Twitter or wherever you consume your podcast, tell us, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or isn't it? (laughs) Excellent. So a movie that was released in 1988, Roger. Uh, Interestingly, I personally saw it a year later on VHS cassette. I didn't go to the movies. Did you see it at the movies by any chance? I did. I did. And. Uh, do you know, Pascal, it's one of the f- only movies, I think probably other than Star Wars, where I've gone and seen it again within a few days. I was utterly, utterly blown away by it. Um, I, I, I think I went to see it with a girlfriend, and <laughs> she suggested it. In fact, I'm, I'm, the memory's coming back now. She suggested we go to see this film, and I'd never heard of it. I didn't die hard. Never heard of that. And Bruce Willis is some comedy actor in some silly TV series that I've never watched. So I I went along not expecting to be impressed at all and was absolutely blown away by the action sequences. I thought it had comedy moments and it had emotional moments and the tension and and the direction and the action sequences were just incredible. And yeah, I went back to see it again on my own uh, a couple of days later. I'm not surprised because actually uh, there was so much to take in. Um, It is actually, uh, at the time, was breaking a a few rules, such as duration. I mean, Mm. this is on for more than two hours, which Mm. I'm sure back then the theater owners would have been annoyed because, of course, that's loss of earnings um, because movies should have been in around the the 90 or or 100 million marks, and this this is much longer. Now, for... Uh, the handful of viewers who have not, uh, listeners who have not seen Die Hard, which I don't think is possible. Let me remind you that this is about John McClane, a New York City cop who's making his way to Los Angeles to try and reunite himself with his wife, Holly Gennaro, who is working at the infamous Nakatomi Tower. And his plans to spend a lovely Christmas with his family are essentially thwarted by Hans Gruber and his band of nasty men. And wasn't Hans Gruber played by Alan Rickman, just one of the best villains in a film ever. Ever. I mean, oh, he was, he had that, uh, it wasn't a very physical performance. It was, it was more of a, uh, it's just the delivery of his dialogue and, and the way he looked at, at the, uh, <laughs> the people. But honestly, he was so, so sinister and evil and incredible performance an incredible performance. And I, Again, I, I, Pascal, I, I love that sort of the action sequences. Obviously, uh, John McClane 
manages to escape into the infrastructure of the building as the terrorists take over and he effectively wages a one-man war against the terrorist and he's climbing up elevator shafts and going through air conditioning um, ducts and that sort of thing uh, but he's, he's always making wisecracks but it, it never felt cheesy to me it just felt like this is him you know oh I've come to California we'll go to the coast have a few friends have a few laughs uh, when he's being shot at and being uh, and being blown up and uh, I just love that combination of the sinister villain the action hero the comedy and then of course he he, uh, he creates a relationship with a cop on the outside and they communicate with uh, with CB radios and you know they they haven't met each other but they're supporting each other throughout the film and this cops on the outside and he's on the inside and then of course at the end of the the film when they actually get together and, and realize and they see each other for the first time and they have this emotional moment again it, the, the whole film to me had lot I just can't count the the different ways that it blew me away. Absolutely. And what is interesting, through so the director, John McTiernan, that's what he does best. He, 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 I think he loves characters and, and character mm. arcs and so on. And interestingly, the year before he was asked to work on Die Hard, he just worked on Predator with Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. And legend has it that Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for the role of John McClane, but John McTiernan was actually a little tired of that kind of first style of, of hero movie. But I think he sensed as well that the 90s were approaching and you had to switch it a bit and mm. have someone that was more a, a kind of uh, you know normal guy that just caught up in something that he's doing his very best. And actually the, the character gets quite a beating, including stepping on broken glass oh, as yeah. one, um, which leads to all sort of... Uh, and I think you're right, you know, the, the wisecracks and one-liners is more because the character, John McClane, is just so fed up and annoyed and, and stressed and scared. It, it doesn't really come across as cheesy as maybe the early uh, 80s. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. Again, the, even even the the character, his wife's character, there was the 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 sort of office idiot, the one who was <laughs> snorting cocaine. I yeah. can't remember what his name was. He comes to a sticky end during it. You know, even the even the minor characters in the film were real people and real characters. It's it's just such a great script. It is. Uh- I didn't know this, but you know the research is actually based on a novel. Mm. Uh, I, I firmly believed Roger that it was actually a script, you know, that people can create from scratch. And the novel is from 1979, and actually been passed around Hollywood, including um, Clint Eastwood, very nearly actually directed a version in the early 80s, but then got busy doing, doing something else. And uh, they also went through a fair amount of um, casting um, kind of duties to uh, finally settle on Bruce. Willis. You mentioned a moment ago that the guy wasn't really known. I think the year before he'd done, um, I'm going to say Blind Date with um, I'm going to yes. say, oh, who was the actress with him? Uh, name escapes me now. I'm going to say Kim Bessinger, but I'm wrong, I'm sure. Um, but he was known even in France for Moon Lightning, you know, the, the mm. series. So mm. that led to actually some interesting kind of tension because even the, uh, the, the production company and distributors thought hmm, we've got a guy that essentially uh, is a TV uh, actor and in funny how time has, has moved on because now working it on TV is the best thing people can do uh, so when they looked at marketing the film they only released actually posters with just the Nakatomi Tower blowing up yeah. and that's on stripe yeah. lines and they took away the lead actor which 
nowadays, looking back at Bruce Willis' career, seems you know incredible. And then, Do you know that may God, that may be one of the reasons why I didn't know about the film, or maybe I'd seen the poster um, mm. before it was suggested we go to see it, and maybe I just thought oh, it's just a remake of the Towering Inferno or something like that. Oh, and your action is absolutely right. So for me, you know, I said. They didn't have faith in him, bless him, which is not very nice you know, when you're the you're lead actor. Then, of course, when the movie is time to work well, they very, very quickly were rushing around reprinting posters to then have his face. And then you have that uh, very iconic you know, look where he's looking through, I think, a, a threshold of a door and it's cut with a tower. And then you've got, obviously, uh, um, the text and so on. But um, what, what is interesting is, you know, the marketing was very, very low key, which, again, for us looking, you know, talking about it in 2020 seems incredible. But you know they they released it in a few cinemas just to avoid you know embarrassment and then it worked and then quickly they they kind of were chasing their tails but in a way that was a bit late and thank God for word of mouth. Yeah, and of course there was some pretty good taglines, wasn't there? There were, which leads me on to uh, a little request for you, okay. Roger Edwards. Um, now <laughs> this movie was at the, was on the big screen, then VHS cassette, then you had multiple DVD releases, and each time they play with the taglines. Uh, and I think it should be, um, you know, as we're approaching Christmas, I've got a Christmas wish for you. I'd love for you to take on that kind of vote of a man type style and read some of the most popular taglines that we use on the cover or the DVD versions. And we may even ask Tima editor (laughs) to add some dramatic music. Are you up for it? Let's do it, Pascal. Okay, so deep voice. Here we go. He is alone, tired, and the only chance anyone has got. Twelve terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane. And that's the way he likes it. I love this one. 40 stories high, suspense, excitement and adventure on every level. And finally, an adventure that will blow you through the back wall of the theatre. <laughs> and, and you know what? It did. I, I said it before. When I was at the theatre the first time, it did blow me through the back wall of the theatre. So much that I went back again and watched it a couple of days later. So I've got to ask you, do you have copies of Die Hard in one of the many, many DVD releases and editions that they've, they've gone for? Absolutely. We've got a, We've definitely got a DVD release, and the DVD release has even got a, branch, a branched version where you can actually watch it and it'll add the deleted scenes back in. Oh, so that must which, be, which, yeah, that must be the 2003, therefore the 15th uh-huh. anniversary. Yeah, I think I've got uh-huh. that one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got a digital... Uh, version as well in in uh, in HD that uh, that I can watch um, either on iTunes or on Amazon or something like that. The movie is known globally. There were some very interesting uh, translation issues with the title because uh, <laughs> different territories, including France, Italy, Spain, and you know Russia, Die Hard doesn't really translate. I mean, there's something about the English language where you can be very direct and very to the point, which doesn't uh, work so much with Latin uh, languages. So in France, it was called The uh, um, Trap of Crystal or Crystal Trap. Uh, uh. It was called The Crystal Maze in some others, uh, alluding to you know, the, the broken glass and obviously um, how they shooting through windows and that, and that kind of things um but then obviously when they move on to die hard two three four five and it was no longer in the building they got a bit caught up but they carried on with the same title um, <laughs> you know what the hell but one thing that they that stayed no matter the language is of course the infamous yippee ki mother 
which we can't say on this podcast no. for obvious reasons. Only because we're going to get... an Oedipus complex going on here. But, of course, when they did the TV version, they changed the rude word to Kimosabi. So it was Yippikaye Kimosabi. And I can remember when it first came on TV and they said Yippikaye Kimosabi. And we all went, no, that's not what they said. <laughs> it actually said Yippikaye Mother. And I, I always get a bit annoyed when they do edits like that because, um, to me, it just makes people then shout out what what they've yeah. edited out. And, and but hey, so the initial um, <laughs> releases internationally, they try and translate Yippikaye. But now, if you get a, a more recent print or more recent DVD, um, whilst you know the dialogue may be dubbed, the Yippikaye now is back uh, originally. According to you know that, that special edition that you mentioned a moment ago, according to the interviews that John McTiernan and um, Bruce Willis gave, they had a bit of a, a back and forth whether it should be Yippitaye or Yippikaye, and I Ugh. think Bruce got Bruce Willis got his way and went for Yippikaye because I think he suggested that that's the way it's, it's said in where it comes from and i think that's the better version yes yeah absolutely yippee and of course yippee became the sort of one of the catchphrases from the series because he effectively says it in each film after that usually at the moment when he's about to dispatch the main villain of the piece it's always you know in the second one he he, he blows the plane up and it's yippee ah and the third one again when he brings the helicopter down it's almost like your toast, mate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it is a wonderful film, you know, and one thing I'm, I'm going to say to you is, in terms of film marketing, please, please, you know, let's take away that you've got to believe in yourself and in your lead, lead actor. It, it feels criminal that, you know, Bruce Willis was taken off, you know, the posters and everything else for fear that, you know, audience would not engage. But the other thing is, you know, pay attention to your audience because when they kind of, you know, grab something and it becomes, you know, something that they could literally use for, for themselves, then you can go back to your content and, and improve upon it. Yeah, absolutely right. And again, you know what I said before about having a face for radio. You know, they, they didn't believe he had a face that would sell this film, but it became such a successful franchise, you know, and there's even talk now you know all these years later of a sixth film you know whether we'll see it i don't know uh, whether it'll be good i don't know but going back to that original launch in 1988 what an incredible film which is one of the best films of all time i i, I can't i can't think how many times i've watched it we pre we we pretty much watch it on christmas eve every year because it is a christmas movie as i said at the start you know oh the weather outside <laughs> is frightful dum de dum de dum mm. delightful and all of that sort of thing i mean it's it's kind of you know the conversion between uh, high noon and scrooge or you know a christmas carol you know, it's just yeah. kind of, and it yeah. works well and you've got to celebrate the work of the director producers and so on it's also very well filmed uh, i will say that even though i like pretty much all of them with maybe some one exception it is the one that uh, where the the cinematography you know the, the the way in which is filmed and the use of light and so on is at its best yeah that bit at the end towards the end when he basically jumps off the top of the tower he, he ties a mm. um it's a, a fire hose That's around right. his waist 
and he jumps off the top of the tower just as the explosion goes off. And so you've got this massive explosion in the background. He's doing this jump. I think there might be a helicopter in there as well at some point. And he basically falls down the sides of the building mm. and then has to bash his way in through one of the windows. I mean, it was just it was just breathtaking. Absolutely. And it's still, you know, I, I, as I say, I've lost count. I must have seen it 20, 30, maybe 40 times. But every time I watch it, that particular sequence, it's just, <gasps> my goodness, here we go. Uh, well, I'm so pleased that we went for, for this one, clearly, because you're a big, big fan. So we began, obviously, this uh, film marketing segment review of Die Hard by suggesting that this is the best Christmas movie ever. We want your opinion and views on that. But just to leave you with something to, to take away, when, obviously, 20th Century Fox, who actually uh, provided the building, you know, Nakatomi Tower is obviously Fox's uh, headquarters as well. So let's keep it in, in, you know, within the family. But when they released, obviously, the 15th anniversary DVD that you have, Roger, um, they did say during the press release, yes, we agree, it is the greatest Christmas story ever told. So... <laughs> <laughs> So there you are. There you are. It is a Christmas movie. <laughs> so this brings me to um, the end of our recording for episode 17 of Two Geeks and Marketing Podcast. Once again, thank you for your wonderful support. Please leave comments, suggestions and feedback in the usual places. Until the next one, please make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates. 